Don't you just love the sights and sounds of Christmas? You know, there is something about the season, isn't there, with just uh, the music and the laughter and the conversations and people getting together, the lights, the decorations. It, it just tells you that there is something special about this season. Could, could you imagine going back uh, before Jesus was born? You know, before Jesus was born, those were known as the dark years, the silent years, because after Malachi laid down his pen and that prophet stopped, well, heaven hadn't spoken for 400 years. For 400 years, it was just silence. It was darkness. Earth had not heard from God. They were known as the dark years, the silent years. But then Gabriel showed up and he told of a son who was to be born. And when he gave this message, word went out, news spread. There was great fanfare, much excitement. And then finally it happened, the birth of John the baptizer. But you know, after Gabriel told Zechariah the priest, he went and he had a conversation with somebody else, a teenage girl named Mary, about a birth of another son. I want to read it to you this morning. Uh, I'm going to go between Luke's gospel and Matthew's gospel. You can try to follow along in your Bibles if you like. If not, you can just sit back and listen to the account of the birth of Jesus. I'll be in... Uh, Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38, and then Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. It reads, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. 
When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. You know, when Gabriel finally got the word that he could go and have a conversation, it's like he just didn't stop, you know? He goes to Zechariah, and then he goes to Mary, and then he goes to Joseph, and then he goes and tells the shepherds. He's just like going and going and going. Once he's given the freedom to make an announcement, wow, there's lots of announcements to be made. The first one was to Zechariah. He was a priest, a faithful man, a devout man, but, you know, they had been through a lot. Uh, in those days, when you get married, there's always the promise of a child. There's the hope of a child, especially so in those days. And so Zechariah, a priest, and as a priest, he's a representative of God to the people. And at the same time, he represents the people to God. And yet there's no, there's no child. There's, there's no son. They'd hoped and hoped, but it never happened. And in those days, being a man's world, it was always the woman's fault, you know. And so she had the labels. There would have been a stigma on her. The Bible even tells us she was called barren, all right? No, nobody really wants that label on them, right? But this is the label that Elizabeth has. And people are probably looking down on her. How come she can't give Zechariah a child? And there had probably been many times when Zechariah and Elizabeth, they got their hopes up and they thought, okay, now perhaps we're going to have a child. She was a couple days late. But, you know, those promises always were dashed. Those hopes always seemed to disappear until Gabriel showed up and told Zechariah, your wife, old Baron Elizabeth, she's pregnant. She's going to give birth to a son, John the Baptizer. And when Zechariah hears it, he can't even believe it, you know? And he's been the representative of God to the people, but now when he has a representative of God to him, no, no, he can't even believe it because he's been through these hopes before. He's had these hopes dashed before, and he can't believe it. <laughs> so he's forced to be mute until John is born. Now, I can't think of something much worse for a priest, a pastor, than not being able to communicate, okay? I mean, that's like what you do. And here he is. He can't talk until John is born. It was an incredible birth. It was a miraculous birth. But Gabriel went and he had a conversation with Mary. And as miraculous as the birth that Elizabeth would have and give with John the Baptist, the birth of Jesus by Mary, was something altogether different. This wasn't just an old, barren woman. This was a young teenage girl, probably 13 or 14 years old at the time, a virgin. And she wasn't just giving birth to any child. She was giving birth to God's son. You see, this, this is altogether different. It was incredible that Elizabeth could have a child, miraculous, yes, but this, this is on a whole other level of a miracle. But Mary does. You know, uh, imagine with me for a moment that you're God, and you've got to pick who your son will be born to, okay? You've been waiting for centuries, okay, 400 years and, uh, since Malachi had spoken, but you've been waiting a long time to send your son into the world. It was planned out since the dawn of time. 
Where's he going to go? Maybe you'd pick like a king, a really wealthy family. Okay, let's, let's put him here. And then everyone will notice him. They'll take note of him. He'll have this, he'll have this standing. People will have to respect him. Maybe, maybe you say, well, how about, how about a priest like Zechariah? You know, he would be this faithful family. Uh, they would be good, good parents for my son. I mean, who would you choose? You most likely would not have chosen Mary and Joseph. Yeah, faithful, sure, but they were poor. They were young. They weren't even married yet. They were only engaged. And, and then beyond all that, you wouldn't have chosen this time either. I mean, this is a couple of you that Jesus, he's going to have to spend his first night in a manger. You'd at least pick a family where Jesus could spend his first night in a bed. But no, this is where he comes. And he comes during a time when the Roman cross of crucifixion is in place. You know, if it were us, we'd say, okay, I understand that he's going to have to die, but not like this. Not the most painful, excruciating death that humanity has invented. Not, not like this. See, none of us would have sent Jesus like this. Who would have sent Jesus like this? God, in his grace. Now, when Elizabeth gave birth to John, there was a lot of fanfare. There was a lot of excitement. News went out. Everybody came together, the whole town, celebrating. They're, they're giving ideas for names, all this kind of stuff. I mean, it is a party. And you can imagine why, can't you? you just imagine your neighbors with Zechariah and Elizabeth, and you've seen their faithfulness through all these years. You've seen their heartbreak. Yeah, you're, you, it's easy to cheer and celebrate for somebody like Zechariah, for somebody like Elizabeth. You can imagine the excitement that encapsulated the town. And then when Mary gives birth to Jesus, you would expect even more, right? This isn't just the forerunner. This is it. This is the Messiah. He's the one. You would expect even more fanfare, more people to come out, the news to spread even further, a bigger, greater celebration. But we know that wasn't the case at all, was it? No. See, here's the thing. Jesus isn't just somebody you can celebrate. He's not someone you can just celebrate and say, all right, yeah, Jesus, we're good. No, Jesus, he brings good news of joy for all people, but he also brings tension. Because that joy that he brings, it's a transformative change. He, he, he comes into a world that's upside down, and he comes to turn it right side up. See, Jesus doesn't just leave things the way he finds them. He comes to change things, big changes, monumental changes. And so with that, Jesus brings joy, yes. But to get that joy is often through tension. Let me show you. Okay, just, just in the birth. I mean, imagine with me again that uh, you're Mary. You get the news that you're pregnant with God's son. You're a virgin, you got to go have a conversation with Joseph now. I mean, how's that going to go? We get an idea because Joseph, he's like, Mary, I love you, but this is too much, right? I'm a, I'll, I'll be kind. I'll, I'll just kind of put you away quietly. I don't want to cause you any more embarrassment, but how can I believe this? No, it takes an angel then to appear to Joseph to say, no, 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 Joseph. What she's telling you is true. Take her as your wife. And then they got to go and have a conversation with their parents because she's going to be showing before too long. How do you imagine that conversation goes? 
hey, mom, dad, well, we have a son, uh, but it's just Mary's son. Uh, it's of God. It's not us. It's not what you think. I mean, how are they going to believe that? You know, it's interesting. We don't know anything about Jesus' grandparents. Uh, we, get, we get their names and a genealogy, uh, the father, but, th- but that's, that's it. I mean, now, it's possible the parents could have died. It's possible they could have been disowned because this conversation was just too much. You understand, it brings tension, the birth of Jesus, this pregnancy. Neighbors would have noticed everything like this, and so Mary's forced to go and live with Zechariah and Elizabeth for a time. And then the census comes, right, as Mary is pregnant, and so she's got to make the 80-mile journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And because she's pregnant with Jesus, she's got to make that journey extremely pregnant. It's a hard journey. It's on uneven, rocky roads. Uh, She's probably traveling on the back of a, a mule, a donkey, something like this. Perhaps she's walking. And you can imagine, by the time she arrives in Bethlehem, her feet are swollen, her back is aching, she's hurting. The Bible says she's great with child. And there's no place to go. There's no room. They end up in what was most likely a cave where animals were kept. And these aren't the kind of animals that we see on our Christmas cards, you know, where they all lie down so peacefully looking at the manger of Jesus. And, you know, sometimes they even sing, you know, no, no, no. These were actually real animals, okay? And they do what animals do. They walk around. They eat. They make noises. They do smelly things that animals do. Right? This is not a sterile environment. But this is where Mary would give birth to Jesus. And you know in those days, one of the most dangerous things in the ancient world was childbirth. And here's Mary, young, in a cave, lying on a bed of straw. Her mom's not there to hold her hand and to tell her, it's going to be all right, Mary. You're going to get through this. It's going to be okay. She's, she's not, her mom's not there. There's no medical professional there. She doesn't have a nurse, a doctor, nobody like that. The only person there is Joseph, a man that, well, she's never been with like that before. One commentator said that Joseph became the most unlikely midwife in all of Bethlehem. (laughs) And as Mary was going through these contractions. I wonder, I just wonder if she remembered what the angel Gabriel had told her. Nothing is impossible with God. And perhaps as she's going through these contractions, she was just saying that to herself. Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. And then she births the Son of God. Incredible. And then there, right there, it's God with us, Emmanuel. You know, it had always been God and us before. You realize this? It was, it was God and it was us. He was altogether different. Uh, sometimes when he would choose to communicate through to us, he would use a prophet, he would use an angel. On really special occasions, he'd speak through a bush or a finger writing on the wall or something. But it was always God 
and us. And now, for the first time, he really was God with us. He was one of us. The the God who has no beginning was born. The God who does not grow tired and weary lay sleeping in his mother's arms. The God who said, let there be light, now squinted with watery eyes as he beheld light. He really was and is in every way one of us as we are, God with us. Mary and Joseph, they would now have the the privilege uh, and responsibility of teaching Jesus, training Jesus. They're the ones who, who will relay the scriptures to him, the author. And they would have been the ones to teach Jesus about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, Moses and Joshua. And they would have gone through the Psalms and uh, I imagine as they're going through the Davidic Psalms, perhaps they stopped and they said, hey, Jesus, you realize David, he was your great, 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 great grandfather, you know. And they're teaching him these things. And, but before David, there was Ruth and Boaz, and they've got quite an amazing story. And before Ruth and Boaz, well, Boaz, mom, uh, Rahab, yeah, we got stories on her too. But they would have been the ones with the privilege to go through all this. And I can just imagine that Joseph reading to Jesus from Isaiah 9, reading, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And as Joseph is quoting Isaiah to Jesus, he sees the fulfillment of it right there. To us, a child is born, a son is given. I can imagine Mary singing the messianic psalms over her son, Jesus, her Messiah. Singing him to sleep and Jesus asleep in her arms. And maybe she thought again, nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God because here he is, God with us. He's with all of us, you know. He's for all people, regardless of age, regardless of income, regardless of ethnicity, regardless of gender, regardless of anything that society would like to throw at us and say, oh, this divides us, this divides us, this divides us. No, no. With Jesus, we're one. Because he's for all of us. He's with all of us. Maybe you need to know that it doesn't need to be God and you anymore. 
Maybe you've been kind of living your life that way. You do your own thing, and then every once in a while, okay, there's, there's God over here. I'll try to make him happy. But, it, but if you're really honest, you say, you know what? I live my life where there's God and there's me. Jesus came so we didn't have to be God and you anymore. It's God with us. He really is in every way us. God with us. And this good news, well, it can't be kept, you know. The shepherds hear about it. I mean, you think about these shepherds. We talked about a couple weeks ago. These are dirty, excluded guys. They're not invited to temple worship. They're unclean. All of this. The angel comes, gives them the good news, the heavenly host, praising. They go, they run, they see the child. And then what happens? They're changed. They're changed. They run out. Good news can't be kept. It must be shared. And they start telling everybody. And then you look, uh, sometime later, Jesus would meet with a Samaritan woman. She was at the well at the heat of the day to avoid everybody else. She had quite a past, you know. But Jesus meets with her, gives her living water. He came to Samaria just for her, the Bible says. And after she has this conversation with Jesus, what happens? She runs to the very people she was avoiding. And she tells them the good news of Jesus. See, the good news of Jesus can't be kept. There was a demoniac in the garrisons. He was a man, he was full of demons. He was a danger to himself. He was a danger to others. He was excluded on the outskirts of of town to live in the caves, really a graveyard. He was a scary man. Jesus showed up on the shoreline, has a conversation with him. The demons come out. The man's not the same. He goes back to all the people who he was not allowed to be with before. And he tells them the good news of Jesus because the good news of Jesus can't be kept. There was a leper. He was excluded from community. He wasn't allowed to be with the people anymore because of his leprosy. He meets Jesus. Jesus heals him, but tells the man, hey, don't don't tell anybody about this. I don't want people coming to me just for a miracle. But the good news is too much. It can't be kept. He runs out. He's telling everybody. See, when you meet Jesus, you just can't help but talk about him. Because there's something about him. He changes things. You know, the crowds, the Bible tells us the crowds would come out to listen to Jesus, to hear him teach. Because they'd never heard anyone teach like this before. The power, the authority, the way in which he spoke. It just grabbed them. And so they came out. But you know what? Largely, those crowds were unchanged. They enjoyed listening. They enjoyed the stories. But when push came to shove, they didn't want to change. See, sometimes it's hard for us to admit that we got things that need changing that we can't fix in and of ourselves. Sometimes it's hard to submit our lives to Jesus and say, hey, you go ahead and change me because I know I can't. That's what happened with the crowds, you know. They, they were following Jesus because they enjoyed the teaching. He could captivate their attention. They were looking for a miracle. 
You know, they, they wanted a Messiah who would come and maybe give them a meal. They wanted a Messiah who would come and maybe uh, offer a political solution to the struggles that they had with Rome. You know, let's just rebuild Israel to her rightful place of prominence in the world. They would take a Messiah like that. But a Messiah who had come to change them, to transform their lives, where they would have to admit that we're broken, we're sinful, that there's nothing I can do to fix myself. That, well, that, that was too much. And so the disciples would come to Jesus because they see that it's it's too much. Mankind cannot fix herself. And so they asked Jesus, Jesus, who then can be saved? Jesus responded, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. There it is again. Did you catch it? Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. Maybe you need to hear that this morning because you got things going on in your life and you don't know what the resolution will be. You, you don't even see a way out. Nothing is impossible with God. Jesus is God with us. He is Emmanuel. And if you're ever tempted to think, well, Steve, uh, he might have been God with us back then, you know, with um, Mary and Joseph during that time when he was present on the earth. I can see that. He was with us. But now it kind of feels like God and us again because he's ascended into heaven. I want to remind you the bookends of Matthew's gospel, okay? Matthew's gospel begins with the fulfillment of the promise that you're to call him Emmanuel, which means God with us, he's here. But I want to fast forward you to Matthew 28, when Jesus is getting ready to launch out of here and he's giving his final marching orders, the great commission to all of us to go make disciples. And he leaves them with a promise. And behold... I will be with you always to the very end of the age. You see, he's still with us. He always is. God with us. He's good news for all people. Merry Christmas. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for the greatest gift, the gift of your Son, a gift to all people. Lord, may we celebrate him well, but we realize Jesus is not just someone we celebrate. God, we must cede our lives over to him and allow him to transform us, to conform us into the image of your son. Lord, there's no greater image. So may we humble ourselves to do that. We need your help. So we ask this by the power of your Holy Spirit and the grace of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.